Hello and welcome to the Potters Podcast. As usual, you're joined by me, Ian, from Scholar Green, and we're going to go through the season with Ben Rowley. But before we do, I just wanted to thank everybody who works for the NHS, everybody who's still working at the moment, keeping the economy going, keeping everybody safe. All I want to do is thank everybody who's abiding by the government's official standings, not going out, staying indoors, because it's not easy having to stay inside and missing people like going to the pub and you know going for meals watching films at the cinema and stuff we're all we're all feeling the hurt at the moment but we all have to stay indoors we all have to make sure that we make that effort to help other people because it's not just about ourselves this is we have to do this for other people and it's absolutely fantastic the things that have been seen people have been staying in doing great things on youtube and, and facebook to keep themselves and other people entertained and i just think it's fantastic the nhs thing every thursday at eight o'clock where we all go out and clap and fireworks have been going off and could say thank you to everybody and especially thank you to the emergency services are going through a hard time at the moment and keeping everybody alive thank you so hello ben how are you doing in these hard times hello mate um i'm, I'm not doing too bad really weird times for everybody right now but i'm i'm, I'm managing finding new things to do which don't include football well the regular football anyway I know it's hard at the moment about no football and I'm really struggling. I've been watching loads of old videos of YouTube and trying to find stuff to do really. I mean, what have you been doing with yourself? I mean, to be fair, I've been doing very well and putting out content. I must admit, during the times that we've been um, moaning about them not doing enough, I think they've done really well during the time we've got no regular football. Uh, I've, I've been trying to work out at home. Um, I've been trying to do my podcast, of course. Um, I've been doing pub quizzes with mates and catching up with them. It's 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 weird how many people want to catch up now, but uh, they're not seeing anybody outside their household. So uh, there's, there's there's ways you can get around not being able to do the things we normally do. I guess it's just those little things you miss isn't it that's the thing so I could do a lot of walking I do and you know those times where you do like a, lo- a long walk then you think to yourself oh well I'll just nip in the pub and have, have a, you know a drink and some of tea then make his way home and then you realise oh you can't do that so it sort of destroys the, <laughs> the activity of walking you know it's a, it's a hard time at the moment and I agree with you I think um, Stoke have been putting some good content out so I mean, what's your favourite bit of that so far I mean the match day rewinds are a good idea but they're not particularly unique but I think, I think they're really good for getting fans engaged all at the same time at a time where they were normally expecting football so was it Saturday they showed the 6-1 or was that a different day they've been showing games like when we expect to see football so we're not missing out which I think is a really good idea um, but to be fair they've been doing so much good stuff haven't they like um, not furloughing their workers, uh, speaking to vulnerable fans over the phone, big donations from players and owners, uh, setting up that testing centre outside the ground. They've, they've been terrific. Fair play to them. Yeah, they have. They've been fantastic, the coach family. I mean, I've, I've not been their biggest critic, but I haven't been, you know, 100% behind them. But since this mm. has happened, I can't knock them at all. You know, they've helped the government in ways by, you know, paying for the staff themselves, you know, the £10 million. Um, giving to the NHS from Denise Coates is it's incredible really isn't it I mean I mean where else can you go with that I mean especially when you see clubs like Tottenham and Mike Ashley at Newcastle can't even be bothered pay for, for pay for the staff we, I mean it's been great we've been in the major news media and everything talking about with the Coates family which is only good for Stoke really isn't it it's, it's rightly deserved as well I mean as you said there's, there's some clubs that are arguably bigger than us and, and they're 
not handling the situation well at all. They've had to backtrack and all sorts. And it just shows that in times of a crisis, um, those that really do mean well and have the ability to do well will show their true colours, I think. Well, yeah, that's that's the main aim of it. I mean, we've got to always we've always got to think about how the clubs clubs run at times. And yes, we've made mistakes as we're probably going to go into. But mm-hmm. I think um, I think they have done well. I mean, even the I've been probably the biggest critic of the Stoke media team. And like you say, they've been putting some great stuff out. And I forgot how good Liam Lawrence was. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's one thing. I mean, so we'll get we'll go into the season now after mm. what we've been going on. So we we know that the situation, of course, is very serious, and it looks like something's happened. I mean, that Everdeece has now decided to void the season and decide to completely cancel it. What do you reckon to that decision if it happened in England? I'd like the games to be played but the problem is they, they can't play games behind closed doors because the players can't be in close proximity so I mean you can't have people outside saying well you can't be, you've got to be two metres but then players can run and slide and I mean it'd be interesting I think it'd be the funniest thing in the world watching a football match where they've got to keep two, minute, two metres distance I think that'd probably be the funniest game ever <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll get to a point where maybe the players do test and you can only play 
value if you're negative for the test or something. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, uh, we probably need for something a bit more sophisticated to come in. But yeah, I, I, they, they've got to handle it very, very delicately. And I don't envy whoever's in this position because like, well, like the government, I suppose, you're going to be remembered for, for decades after this. So let's hope they get it right. Well, I mean, for, for me personally, I think yeah, Dutch Everdeen has has done the right thing, really, just void it and start again next season. Because I think it is the most fairest way. Because I know there's teams that need to come up and teams that need to go down. But I mean, you, you can't. It's like people said, well, just cut it now and decide whatever. Liverpool fans, yes, would be crowned champions and deservedly so. But it'd still be it'd still be contested by fans who go, yeah, but you won it without completing the season. And it doesn't matter how many games they've won; they could they could lose every game from now to the end of the season. As for as far as we know, they probably wouldn't. But you never know, do you? And the thing is, like West Ham would go down, Leeds to get promoted, which nobody wants. And I can remember saying this to me mate at the time when it happened. He goes, "If there is a god, he doesn't want Liverpool to win a title, and he doesn't want Leeds to get promoted." That's the only thing I can think. It's, it's, it's just one of them unfortunate incidents. I mean, if I was a Stoke fan and we were in Leeds' position, I'd, I'd be crying. I'd be in bits. But I think sometimes when there's a, something like this and horrendous virus that's ending lives, I think the fact is that you, you have to accept it, void it, and start again. It'll be, it'll be whatever's happens. It's going to be the most remembered season of all time. I think, especially in my lifetime. To, to you know, I've never seen anything like this where. A season could be literally cancelled and started again. It's 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 like FIFA, but in real life. <laughs> literally rage quitting season. Really. <laughs> but like I was going to say, um, I want to go into the season as a whole with you. And mm. I mean, how did you think it went through? So during the start of the season, when Nathan Jones was manager, did did you have confidence that we were going to do well as a club at that time? At the start of the season. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought we'd get automatic promotion, if I'm being honest. Um, I, but I think a lot of Stoke fans did. We had a very good pre-season. Um, and we brought in a lot of good players. And we had a lot of good players already. We had a manager that was very confident in himself and his system. Um, we, we we did struggle. We, I, I think he only won two games in, in that previous season when he was brought in, Nathan Jones. Um, but the, there were definite signs that he was getting and that the team was getting better um, so I was my my target was automatic promotion but I certainly expected to be 
pushing for playoffs at least. And uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we completely fell apart. Nathan Jones, uh, it, it didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, he'll happily admit that. Um, and it, it, it's really, really disappointed. Uh, disappointing. Um, I know that a lot of fans in hindsight will say, oh, we had no chance of going up, or we had no chance of getting the playoffs. I, I, I think you've got to remember, like, we've got the most expensive squad in the championship, probably on the biggest wages. A manager who had a system that, that worked in other leagues, has been in the championship before, albeit not as a manager. Nathan Jones did have a, a good season um, with Luton. He came into Stoke and things just didn't quite click at all. And mm. I think that I mean, what would you what would you say was the biggest problem with Nathan Jones? Why didn't you think his football worked at Stoke? Um, because the players didn't buy into it. I think as a whole, um, we heard stories in in, in preseason that. Well, I mean, from the start of the season, I think I think 
as soon as we came into it, I thought the most key, key and most important parts to the way that Jones plays is having quick attacking and creative wing backs. Mm. Now, when you're bringing in Stephen Ward and Tommy Smith, and Tommy Smith has improved yeah. more recently, there's no question about it, but when you're bringing a 33 year old left wing back in, it, yeah. you're instantly coming in, especially when his system relies so heavily on those kind of positions. I just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just don't understand what what was going on in recruitment, and that for me was the biggest problem, right from the beginning. I don't know what you. Yeah, think. I, the the club was tricked by financial fair play, and the problem is that Jones wanted to make so many changes, so he was restricted to bringing in players on either free or on loan, pretty much entirely. Um, it, 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 we know that a transfer target was James Justin, for example. He went to Leicester. Um, we were never going to compete with the likes of that and it seemed like we never really had a plan B for any fullback and, and you're right Jones's system at Luton was heavily reliant on his fullback and it's probably a reason why <laughs> James McLean at left back definitely didn't work um, despite his best efforts uh, Tom Edwards who looked very comfortable in some games and very uncomfortable in others which is understandable at the point of his age uh, Tommy Smith definitely wasn't a player that bombs forward uh, Bruno Martin's MD uh, yeah definitely not an offensive fullback um, so so yeah I, I think you're right for someone who said at the start of the season we need fullbacks and never brought any in of any particular youth or attacking quality yeah his, his, his system was sort of doomed from that point on you you could argue uh, but, but again I think we, we had enough talent in that squad to have worked um, whether the like I say the players didn't buy into it because of their attitude or whether the manager just didn't get his message across well enough uh, only they will know I suppose but um, fortunately that's, that's, that's not quite the case anymore it looks like we are picking up slowly well yeah that's that's the thing I mean but I can remember something Nathan Jones said at the start of the season. I think it was an interview not long before the start of the season. It was just after the Tranmere match. And it was like an interview around the ground. And they were interviewing him. And he, was, he pretty much explained something that I'd never known before, which I'd always thought but never knew. And he said that if you wanted to get a player in, he'd get a list of five that had come from Cartwright. And then he'd, he'd pick from the list of that five. But then I started to think to myself, well... If Stephen Ward was the best left back on that list, who the hell were them other left backs? Well, exactly, and that's the problem. So, looks like we were hamstrung from the the moment the season started because of financial fair play. I mean, like we, we we brought a lot of players in, and albeit they were free, they all have wages to fill. Um, we we tried to sell some of our own players, the Buller and Die, Woods, Wimmer, Berahino all left on either on loan or for nothing so that we were expecting we were expecting Joe Allen um, and Jack Butler to leave as well I think and that money would have been utilised elsewhere on the pitch but we we didn't sell anybody for any money particularly I think even Peter's left for what one million or something yeah, like that next to nothing, yeah. like yeah we, we just didn't have the transfer budget to bring in anyone half decent and uh, <laughs> I guess he, he he took a gamble on someone on on low wages and maybe thought that the club could have brought in someone towards the end of the window when we did eventually sell anybody, but we didn't do that. 
Yeah, it was a disappointment once to the end of the day. I mean, like quite a few came in. There's, there's some good faces that came in. People like Nick Powell came in. And like I say, Tommy Smith came in. I mean, out of all of them, who's the one you've been most impressed with out of the summer signings that came in? there's been some good and bad in there recently. like Lee Gregory for a bit impressed me but he's he's, he's like Mamadi Sidibe well I mean to be honest he, he does remind me Gregory of uh, Richard Creswell where he's good at moving good at everything else but he, he just can't finish it's, it is a bit of a disappointment really because he, he there is a good player in there he's a fantastic penalty taker as well it's just that he misses so many chances. I mean, another one that was, that, to be fair, his goal per game ratio was actually very good. Was Scott Hogan, um, who was another signing that came in in the summer. And I, I remember when we signed him. I thought, oh god, what are we doing here? Because I remember he had that picture into it. He had that big gut, and he couldn't barely could yeah. fit in his shirt. But to be fair, the amount of games for goal ratio was actually very good. I've done from previous seasons, I'm sure. 
The thing is with him, he just didn't have the experience to take this job on. That's that's the problem he had. I mean, when he took over at Luton, he had nothing but success. He never had bad experiences to pull from, so he couldn't go, right, well, I did this last time, something went wrong, or I did this. Because at Luton, it was just literally bang, win, 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 draw, win, lose, win. It was just, he just hit the ground running and that was it he got the state yeah. job highly rated because he didn't get the players in he needed to play the way he played I think he, he, he did that managerial suicide which is what Mark Hughes did years ago where you change the way you play when you haven't got the players to play that other way either and it, it, so it's, it's like kind of self-suicide like when we started to concede loads of goals under Mark Hughes and he decided to start dropping Bowie and stop playing that yeah. high attacking football but we didn't have the defenders to cope with defending at the same time and we, we started to crumble and he didn't know how to fix it because he just went more defensive and we just we just got worse I think Jones did the same thing where he didn't have the wingers to get up there and support the forward line so we, he decided to try and make us a little bit more defensive and we just didn't have the players to do that either because let's be honest we haven't really got a solid a solid defender out of all of the squad at the moment apart from Ryan who's are sadly injured and I like the bloke and I hope he goes on to be successful because I think he is a good manager I just I just think he come at the Stoke at the wrong time I think that's the problem yeah I completely agree I, I think well for a start he was very very unlucky as we said um, Ryan Shawcross out for pretty much the season like that's a tremendous blow like to lose your best defender and, and your captain of 10 plus years like devastating thing to happen like and, and our defence would have been much better for it. Butland did an absolutely terrible form. Joe Allen in absolutely terrible form. And another big name player, Ince, we said, in terrible form. McLean, despite his best efforts at left back, wasn't playing well enough for me. The defenders all over the shop. Danny Barr let every ball drop that he could. Um, and as I say, I think things were working and improving to some degree on, under Jones. You're right, I, I think the job came at the wrong time for him. I think had he come to us when we were in a neutral state, in a, in a state where we weren't plummeting still, he, he would have sort of seen his go at the table. But the trouble is, we were, as a club, maybe not in terms of the league table necessarily, but, but in, in terms of our stature, we were plummeting. We were properly doing this underland. And we needed someone a, a, a little bit more drastic, um, possibly even a little bit more short term. Like I'm not going to know. I'm not going to go mentioning names because people will think of people and stuff like that. But uh, like, yeah, I think Jones will go on to a club eventually where you know there'll be there'll be like a, like what we were under Tony Pulis the second time round, for example, where. We were happy with how we were. We thought that we could improve, so we'll sack and we'll get Mark Hughes in because we just wanted to get better. We weren't particularly bad, but we just wanted to get better. I think Jones will go into into a situation like that in the future, and he'll he'll do extremely well. I'm almost sure of it. Um, looks like he might be going back to Luton at the moment at the time recording this. Um, that'll be interesting considering their bottom. I want to say. Uh, yeah, um, second so, bottom. I think they are. I think was it bottom? Yeah, yeah so, second bottom. We are where where they're on a downward turn, and it's not going to work out the same way that it did when he was there the first time. Who knows? I guess uh, different situation entirely in football at the moment. 
yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wish him all the best because I, I think he's a ge- really genuine bloke that loves football and I think he's got some really good ideas and I, and I hope he finds himself on a club that, that, that resonates with the way he's playing because I think football needs more people and attitudes like him. Well, yeah, I mean, before we move on from Nathan Jones, go to the second part of it, I just wanted to ask if there was a favourite moment of Nathan Jones at the time when he was obviously manager at the start of this season. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember the game, and that's really sad, but where he was beating his chest after the game, screaming at the fans, like, like kill me, I can't, I can't remember what that match was. Um, yeah, it was last but, season, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was his last win anyway. Uh, was it Swansea? I feel like it might have been. Yeah, um, it might have been I'm, Swansea, I'm not, yeah. I'm not convinced of that. Did, like, did we beat West Brom and then Swansea the game after? And we all thought, oh my God, this is it. Jones has found a sweet spot now. He's, he's yeah. nailed this. And, <laughs> yeah. then it, and then he lost to Preston and, and, and a couple of other teams and then got sacked. Yeah, um, yeah, we all but, thought but, but, team, yeah. yeah. That game, after losing to Huddersfield and then turning it around the way he did, and you could tell how relieved he was that he'd won a game, and the whole stadium sort of bought into that with him. That tremendous moment for him, I think him, him personally must be one of the most emotional fans he's ever felt. Um, and and it, in the last few seasons, we've not had much to get positive emotionally about it was, it was a good time for us as well I think yeah I mean I can remember my mate Mark at the time when he did that he went oh no don't do that Nate Jones don't do that I goes why would you we've won what's up with you he goes Chris, <laughs> he goes, Chris Kamara did that you end up being right again. Because Chris Kamara did that when he first got his win, ran up in the crap booth and then was fists and yeah. then, then lost five straight after. <laughs> but, oh, <dear. laughs> but yeah, uh, but then like as I say, I think the right decision happened. I mean, I think it was probably a couple of matches too long, but I think like you said, those two wins did help him up to stay alive for a bit longer. But then. I think the manager, manager appointment when they decided to bring in Michael O'Neill was one that shocked me, A, because of the position we're in, and two, I just thought, well, that is a good manager, that is. I mean, if you look at his record everywhere he's been, he's massively improved them. He's done an incredible job of Northern Ireland. I mean, he's gotten near enough qualified for two tournaments, which straight away screams for me a, a, a top manager. I didn't think they'd get him. I thought it was going to be a return to Tony Pulis, and I did say on the podcast that at the moment in the position we were in I would take Tony Pulis till the end of the season but I knew that he wouldn't do that he'd want a three year contract or a two year contract so but I think to get Michael O'Neill I mean you must think yourself what what a massively impressive appointment that was for the position we were in Um, I guess you can look at this in two parts so first part when it happened I wasn't underwhelmed, but I was I was I was nonplussed about it. You could say not because I didn't think that he that he couldn't be a good manager, or that I thought he was a bad manager. But you know, you look at where he's been. He, he was at Shamrock Rovers, Northern Ireland for eight years, which is of course international football is a completely different kettle of fish. And I thought, well, are we just going to see another Nathan Jones here, like <laughs> someone who's done very well at lower leagues? And he's going to come to us, and he's not going to be able to handle it. Um, that's what I honestly 
we thought. But then I thought that because look at the managers we've had in the past, Gary Rowett was possibly one of the best up and coming championship managers that we had. And we still couldn't get us to work under him. I thought any manager that Columbus pretty much doomed, I thought at the time the only person that could have really fixed us was was Tony Pulis because of um, who he was and the, and the fact that he'd been at the club before. But the second part of that, in in, in hindsight, he'd, he'd been terrific, hasn't he? Like, I guess the record doesn't mean everything. Like, the qualities that he has, he, he brings a level of calmness where I think it's so we've been used to getting very hyped up. Sort of Gary Rowett said, we're getting promotion. Nathan Jones said, we're going to bring your team to be proud of. Michael O'Neill hasn't promised any of that. And yet he's slowly delivering it without having to, to get as excited for it in the first place. I think he's he's not lowered our expectations, but he's not sort of been injecting them every week with new steroids, like, come on, this is what we'll see, this is what we'll see, this is what we'll see. He's just said, let's wait and see what happens. And he said the same to the players. He said, look, I don't expect you to be winning the league this year. I don't even expect you to stay up. I just want you to go out, play football, do your best, be the players that I know you are. And they've gone and done that, which they hadn't done under previous managers. Um, and I guess that's why it works at places like Northern Ireland, because those players won't particularly play with each other very often. So he's not got much of a time to comfort It was a game plan, like Nathan Jones has, for example. So Michael O'Neill would have just gone, you know, this is my basic plan for you. Same that you did for Stoke. This is my basic plan for you. Go out and execute it as best you can. I trust you to go and do that. And it's worked. It's probably the most level of trust that Stoke players have had in four or five years. So, that's why. Well, yeah, I mean, the the thing what I like about Michael O'Neill, which is different to the other managers that we've brought in, is that because of his, his, his experience in the lower ends of football and, and you know, like Shamrock, because from what I remember, I think he's the only man to get an Irish team into the Europa League, From, but I'm not sure if it was him, I'll have to research that, but I, I swear it was, because I think it was the same year we were in the Europa League, Shamrock Rovers qualified as well, somehow, they managed to get through three qualifiers and qualified, I think it was Michael O'Neill who did that, which got him the Northern Ireland job. But I'm not too sure you can't quote me on that. I'll have to research that before I come out and positively say that. But I think he just knows how to get a winning formula with average players. And I think he's, yeah. he's for where we are, he's, he's the right man for the job. Because I think that people, and I'm myself, especially when we came down, I think we have got an average team for the championship level. I think that, But I think they're overpaid for how good they are if you know what I mean. And I think that he's come in and, and put them back to where they should be. He's, he's concentrated on them and told them what they've got to do. And I mean, it's like, you can, what I mean is you can instantly see the improvement of the players since he's come in. Like Joe Allen's become a different player. Sam Klukas has become a left-footed Frank Lampard. You know, James McLean's been Mr. Consistent. I mean, even Danny Bat looks like a defender now. The, the, the fact is that he's come in and he's he's stabled everyone, told them what to do, and given them not this 
like let's pass and flare this way and flare that way which has probably confused some of these players he's just gone in and said right just do your job in that position you know what you're doing do it and get it get it on the pitch and do it and it's just the improvement of the side since he's come in is it's night and day we've gone from being a team that can't can't keep a clean sheet to a team that not only that can it's scoring goals quite freely now as well and the thing is now with a manager like Michael O'Neill at the helm I can only think positive things now because I, and I can see promotion I really can with this manager I, because he's brought no players in and look at the improvement we, 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 we were feared in the form table not long ago as well and I think that, that my hope is that we do void it and start again because I think if he can get two or three little nifty players through the door like one of these gifted strikers from Scotland that he's on about bringing in there's no stopping us really as a, as a team it's interesting because who knows if there'll even be a transfer window like uh, I, but a positive to that on the flip side is that these players that are out on loan for us currently um, Phoebe Woods and I and Tabo even Wimmer to some extent they're going to have to come back in and if there's no transfer market they can't move so we either say right see you later don't want you get out or I think with players like Afobe players like Woods we could still utilise them in the squad I, I know that um, O'Neill was the one to send Woods out on loan but I don't think he was at the club for an extremely long period and I think you know given the situation you could probably encourage a player to play for us when the alternative is you can't play at all because you can't move look what happened with Ndai you know when he realised that he wouldn't get the move he played for Sophia and he was playing out of his skin he was absolutely our best player under Nathan Jones he was absolutely tremendous and I think you can get the same level of tenacity out of players like Asobe and Woods um, and, and they would be like new signings for us um, you know we forget how much potential a phobe had when he came in. We thought, well, wasn't he our top speed top goal scorer or something like that when he first joined us? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like that. yeah um, and even then you got players like Tom Ince who they they've done the championship team of the decade or something like that and, and he's in it. And we look at that player now and think, he doesn't even make Stokes team of the season. Like yeah. he's not even been our best right winger. Like let, like, let alone the best right winger in the championship over the last 10 years. Maybe this to kick up the arse that he needs or something. I, I, I don't know. It's a very weird time. I don't want to be thinking about next season too much because we don't know the implications of what ha- what's going to happen next season. I'd, I'd like to think it's going to be positive. I'd like to think that we're going to do well. Um, whether this weird period that we're in now where the season's suspended is going to completely kill any momentum we have maybe um, whether other teams that were in really I don't know downward momentum and doing really badly are they going to turn around now because they're levelled out possibly um, it, it's really weird but again I think one thing that Michael O'Neill's done well is that Stoke fans aren't demanding anything anymore like and I know that's because you know <laughs> if we're careful we're going to get relegated but I think the season we went down I was saying right automatic promotion this season I was saying right I'd like automatic promotion to playoffs next season I don't know 
Like, uh, uh, like as long as we see a little bit more of what we've been seeing under O'Neill, I can deal with that. I wouldn't be upset if we were still in the championship. Like, I, I really wouldn't be because I'm actually having fun here for the first time in a long, long, long time. Um, I guess the consequence of having fun and winning games is, of course, getting promoted. Um, but I wouldn't be disappointed if we finished seventh next season because this this journey under Michael O'Neill so far is the most fun I've had in four or five years, and it's great. Yeah, it is great. It's great at the moment, but the thing what's reminding me of it's reminding me of the season before we got promoted, which was a great year. We had Lee Hendry, we had uh, Patrick Berger for a, a, a sprint as well, and you could see things that were clicking, and the results started coming. And then the odd battering came in, like we we smashed Leeds at Allen Road, and I think there was a couple yeah. of other good results. I think we, we smashed somebody else three 0 as well at their place. But it was like a bit of an indicator that things were really turning round. And I think the thing is with Michael O'Neill that. I think he's that kind of manager where momentum comes through himself because he, he works with such average players his whole career. It's all he knows. You know, like the prima donnas and top players, he'll, he'll, he'll bring them down to his level. And I think that I'm really positive about next season because I think with 46 games of the way... Because, I mean, let's be honest, if, if Michael O'Neill, with the former in at the moment, started this season, we'd be right up there. No question about it, we'd be right up there. Like, like the form table says, I think since he's come in that we, uh, I can't, I don't know what the update statistics are, but at one point we were the second best informed team in the championship since he'd come in. So if we'd have carried on that, we would have got automatic promotion, which just shows the level of quality of the squad we have. We really have got good players in there. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if we got to the very top tier of the championship next season. But like I say, I, I, as long as we're seeing what we're seeing, to some degree, I don't really mind. Like, I'm seeing Nick Powell waste defenders for fun. Like, he's just, he's making them look like idiots. We're scoring quite a lot of goals. We're seeing these hard tackles come in. We're seeing a good press. Like, we're seeing players that care. And at the end of the day, like, it, it makes you realise that promotion isn't really everything. It's just a byproduct of, of us doing really well and playing our best football. And us playing our best football is exactly what I want to see first and foremost. Well, yeah, the football has massively improved. I mean, we'll go, we'll go into that now. So what would you say was the best performance so far under Michael O'Neill? Because, I mean, Nathan Jones, there wasn't much to enjoy there, was there? So, I mean, what was the best performance you'd say so far this season has been? Uh, was pretty good and it was, was a pretty good way to sign off with um, even though Hull were absolutely trash I, I think we've said like that if the season carries on they're probably going down um, but I, I I think we were excellent I think on that day we were Premier League quality I want to say not necessarily even <laughs> like back to where we were back in back in the Stoke Alona days but, but that wouldn't have looked out of place in the Premier League, I don't think. Um, just for that one day, let me make clear. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then we beat in Huddersfield, was that 5 2? Barnsley 4 1. They were very good. Um, was it Sheffield Wednesday that we come from 2 0 down and 1 3 2? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 
Yeah. Like, the thing is, we've we've had days under O'Neill that we've not had under Jones or Rowett or Lambert or the last couple of years of Mark Hughes. We've had days where I've been generally been pleased to have gone to watch Stoke because it was getting to a point where I was considering not going down even though I had a season ticket. I thought, it's not as if I, I, I didn't care anymore. I, I just thought this, this just isn't good for my mental health anymore. Like I'm going down, I'm shouting at the players, I'm just getting sad. Yeah. So I just thought maybe it's time for a break. But I mean, who could have a break from this at the moment? Like it's 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 really good stuff. Um, I hadn't been quite so happy after a game after the five-one where we were three 0 up after God, what was it? Half an hour, maybe yeah. less, yeah, maybe twenty hour. minutes. And I thought we're going to smash these nine and ten here. We eventually took our foot off the gas a little bit and Hull decided that it was a damaged on rotation time but yeah that's that's the first time in a long time where I thought we're going to absolutely pace someone here and that, that's why it reminds me of the Pulis year the year before we went yeah. up it reminds me so much of it because that's when things did start changing and clicking yeah. into a new level and I know it was the talisman was Lee Hendry at the time and it, but I think I mean who would you say was the talisman of this season like the best player well who would you say is player of the season basically agree with you he's my player of the year I think he's uh, he's he's solid as well as being creative at the same time yeah, but he never stops if you watch him he's got a remind he reminds me a bit of Daryl Russell but with quality 
because Dal Russell was the same type of player. He played under Peewee City's first stint, like real grafter, never stopped, just constantly ran. It didn't matter if it was the end of the end of the game or the beginning. He never stops running. And I mean, he's he, but his left foot's it does remind me of Charlie Adams sometimes the way he hits the ball it's like I think I can't remember which goal it was um, might have been against Hull I think no, was it the one where he, was it no Swansea when he went out to the fans yeah yeah fantastic goal brilliant quality yeah. it was like a centre forward finish and it was yeah. I just think that like I couldn't have got a player more wrong if I wanted to I can remember at the end of last yeah. season I said, oh, just get rid of Lucas, loan him out, get rid, no no point, not good enough. And then just the improvement straight away under Nathan Jones, that where he was the main man right from the from the beginning. And when you've got a player that's next to him who's on double the money he is, and Joe Allen, and he's far better player. And yeah. I think that sometimes you, you can misjudge a player. You can, and I think this season he comfortably deserves player of the year without an absolute question. Yeah. Best player on it. And I hope he doesn't get voided and he loses his record this season. What I believe it should be voided, but the players get all the records, their appearances, the goals and, and all that kind of stuff. Because if you take that away from Sam Klukas after this season, it's probably the best season he's ever had. Let's be honest. Fantastic midfielder. And I, I'm really at the moment. It, like people talk about it, with Liverpool fans going, "Oh, this, that, and the other." I go, "So yeah, but he's no Sam Lucas." Let's go. <laughs> I tell you, uh, I tell you, uh, uh, a dark horse, and I think had Nathan Jones had a little bit more trust in him, um, we wouldn't be in this mess. Tyrese Campbell, I mean, he's he's completely turned it around, hasn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah. We were an attack without pace an attack without any ruthlessness you mentioned Lee Gregory who for all his efforts just couldn't hit a barn door with a banjo um, and, and and Campbell's come in and he's doing things that I wouldn't expect I think he's 20 I wouldn't expect a 20 year old lad at Stoke anyway to do he's he's looked like a seasoned championship professional and I hope he stays on a little secret and nobody comes in in this transfer window that may or may not happen and, and spend a lot of money on him because I think was it Southampton that was sniffed around at the end of deadline day yeah, Bournemouth one offering 10 million quid it's Bournemouth one and I think, came in. oh Bournemouth that's it he, he could have quite easily gone for 10 million I think um, had had they sold was it Wilson to United or something death like that I don't know um, but it shows that teams are looking at him and I think despite him signing a new contract which of course is very very positive um, I, I hope that if he does well next season which I fully expect him to I expect him to flourish even more and grow even more as a player I hope that we're able to keep up with him because otherwise he's, he's, he's definitely one to go in the future he'll, he'll definitely go to a Premier League team light it up I'm sure he's been absolutely terrific well, just one quick thing about Tyrus Campbell. Did you hear what Tony Skull said when he was being linked to Celtic and Rangers? Mm. Apparently, he isn't. Um, we don't rate him. We would have let him go. It was up to Michael O'Neill. Uh-huh. Well, that's it, isn't it? And, and possibly that's the reason why he's sat upstairs in the CEO and nowhere near the actual football. And Michael O'Neill has come in and uh, turned things around. Like someone's actually seen potential in Tyrus Campbell. Not as if no one saw potential in him at all but you know O'Neill showed belief like 
Rowett and uh, Jones both said like he can't last 90 minutes and Campbell's proven him wrong like yes he's been substituted a few times but what he brings for that 60-70 minutes is tremendous and the only way you're going to get a player up to 90 minutes regularly I mean it's by practice like you don't manage to <laughs> like a lot of people these days while they're in lockdown they're trying to run a 5k and you don't run 5k by practicing a 1k walk every day you know yeah. you've got to try and run 5k every day and eventually you will get there like Tyrese Campbell's got to play 90 minutes as much as he can for him to be a seasoned starter for us I guess and and I'm, I'm really glad that O'Neill's shown some belief in people like him um, and, and the rest of the squad. We mentioned how, how disappointed we were in a lot of those players and let's hope that that belief carries on into uh, the end of this or the start of the new season, what, whatever that may be. Well, I agree with you. I think Tyrese Campbell's been a, a revelation, really. For me, Young Player of the Year, without a question of a doubt. Um he's just got that bit of quality that other players that we've brought in like Sam Klukas, like Benny Kofobi like Gregory Scott Hogan he's just got that ability that they haven't got which is pace to move the ball forward and, and he's got a great finish on him one thing he's got to improve is his right foot without any question of doubt but I think Tyrese Campbell's the big reason of the resurgence of Ince I really do I think they work together so well because they're so quick they both work off each other because they've got that bit of quality about each other and I think that for me next year I'd make Campbell number 10 and I'd make him the first team striker because they, if he's as good as he is now in his breakthrough well his real breakthrough season at Stoke how good he's done I think he scored 8-9 goals this season imagine how good next year he's going to be a year older a year stronger and more yeah, confident because exactly. he's been given a shirt where he knows he's going to be first choice he's only going to grow and, and if you're talking about um Yeah, especially if he bangs 15 goals and we finish oh. finish top and get back to the Premier League and we've got a talented young player who won't leave then, he won't leave Stoke, he'd have a year with Stoke in the Premier League and see how he goes, And then, but it, all he does is add on his price. I mean, yeah. the, the thing is with it is that he, he is common sense really when it comes down to buying players and it's like when we brought Sam Vokes in, I was impressed with the signing at first but then I started realising not long into his couple of games he's lost all pace and he's a player that for me we need if it was up to me I'd get rid I mean we've now gone through the good players I mean who are the ones that you get rid of now if you were the manager and there was a, a checkbook and you could just get rid of whoever you wanted who are the players you'd get rid of next season um, if I had a choice yeah I think you're right probably Vokes He's probably on decent money, having coming down from the Premier League. He he'd be one to go for me. Um, there's probably a defender or two in there that probably need to go centre back wise. Um, Ward obviously not good enough. Um, as sad as it is, probably Federici probably needs to go just because like well we could probably do with probably promoting one of our youth lads like Bissick or uh, I think we still got. Is sick or am I confusing somebody else? Yeah, Bersley's still got, yeah, he's absolutely into the attack, I think, or Fleetwood. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, 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 I
and then it's it's just a question of whether Michael O'Neill wants transfer funds or not. Like, does he sell Jack Butland at a bargain bin price? Does he sell Joe Allen at a bargain bin price? Does he sell Tyrese Campbell for a bargain bin price? You know, it depends completely and utterly on who goes uh, on 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 sorry on what Michael O'Neill wants to bring in as to who goes. Like, I think he's done very well with what he's got and if you know, it makes me say that there's not many players I actually want to get shot of at the moment. Not really. Uh, there's there's players like Mark Doffy who are obviously if he's not gone already. Yeah, he's gone well, now. Yeah, will leave. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's in exactly. Holland with so, Pardew, I think. Uh, Adu Den Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. Um, so, so there's not an awful lot of players I get rid of, really, apart from the guys on loan. If, 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 if they're not interested in playing for us anymore. Um, and then yeah it's just a question of what O'Neill's desires are does he want the transfer budget because if he does he's going to have to make some sacrifices on the current first team and besides that I'll be able to see those players go I, I, I trust him to be able to spend those transfer funds wisely should he get them I think if we sell a Joe Allen for maybe 10 million say I'd say there's a good two or three players that could be bought with that money if he if he wants them um, so yeah short answer I, there's, there's not that many particularly that I get rid of oh there's quite a few I'd get rid of we will, will we are um, yeah. I, I think the, the, I think that back line still needs fixing I think it's getting I think it's it's a bit, bit makeshift for me I mean Danny Bart James James Chest uh, I mean the decent-ish but I just don't think if we want to really push for promotion, you need some quick defenders in there, and I just don't think that. I just don't think Danny Bat's good enough. I think he he lunges too much because he hasn't got the pace, and I, he's a player that I just don't rate Danny Bat. Yeah, I I do I, I do get that, but we have got Ryan Shortcuts to come back. I think is is you know absolutely pivotal to us being successful at all. And then whoever you pair it with him. You know, Shawcross has made some very average players in the past look excellent. You look at Brett Bolshai, who I, I I think made him look half decent. I think yeah, Robert Hooth was a good player anyway, but but he was an absolute giant at the back when paired with Ryan Shawcross. It, it's a completely different kettle of fish. I think maybe Shawcross and Chester, Shawcross and Lindsay may well be a, a really, really good set to that pair. And that's why I'm, I'm hesitant on selling those players because I'll be interested to see what happens with Shawcross coming back. Well, I mean, the thing is with Ryan, he's a legend and he's actually well known doing the YYY files. I mean, I think there's only one person who hasn't picked him, wasn't he? And was that yeah, Nigel yeah. Johnson? Which you could understand, he had Denny Smith and Neil Franklin, which, you know, you could understand why he didn't pick Ryan yeah, Shawcross. Yeah. But I think. Um, I think because we've got some really good youth, youth projects coming through defensively that I want to see start that's making true, in. That's true. We've got Nathan Collins, yeah. we've got Harry Suter, who I'm really impressed with, especially with two lone spells at Fleetwood. Really impressive young defender. Um, I, I think personally, I'd let Danny back go, I'd let James Chester go, keep Ryan, and then Liam Lindsay's got quite a lot of experience because he's 25, he's not, he's not 18. Yeah. And then you've got the two yeah. young youth products behind to cover in, start getting football. That's for me what needs to happen because I think the problem is if we start relying on a James Chester with Ryan Shawcross and a Danny Bat with James Chester, you've got a really old back line then 
So when you do get promoted to the Premier League, you're going to have to replace both of them instantly. And means you're spending too much money on the back line rather than where you need the quality. So for me, we need to start introducing a Collins or a, a suitor into that back line as quick as possible just for longevity. So you've got defenders that know the way O'Neill plays, but have also got the pace and age to do it for a longer time. And if they do impress, you're talking serious money to get them away from Stoke. That's the thing we've got to start looking at, not old men, really. That's if we keep hold of him. It, yeah, it's 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 promising times. I mean, with the, you've set up as well. I mean, you have got Josh Time, and who's never really impressed me, but he had a good loan spell. I mean, yeah, you never know. You, you never know you, with you, him. You really don't know with you, like with you players. Like you look at McLean under Jones, I thought absolute waster, and then you look at him under O'Neill, and you think, God, blimey, <laughs> an excellent player, and he could bring that level of quality out out of anybody at Stoke like this is the great thing about bringing a manager in is that players that were deemed not good enough may well be perfect for Michael O'Neill the other way around is that some players who were perfect under Nathan Jones or under Rowett will not be Michael O'Neill's cup of tea and it could be that we do see surprise sales at the start of next season um, it, I think we all understand that this lockdown has given us a lot of time to think and whether Michael O'Neill's had too much time to think, <laughs> I don't know. But I, but I do trust him. I think this is the first manager that I trust implicitly for a, a long, long time. Yeah, you're right. I, I trust him now. I think he's the right man for the job, really. I think the problem is with a lot of managers that we've had in the past, and this has happened with both spells of, under the coach family, is that I think at times they have a way of running things that it's very difficult for a modern manager to work with. I think that's the biggest problem. I think sometimes when we bring these flair managers in, they, they don't get enough support from above to help them when it comes down to buying players and understanding. I think I, I want to talk to the board a bit now and, and where they sit in. I mean, like 
Tony scores for me is a big problem. And if you do, you remember just before the pandemic, the virus kicked off. There was like a, a meeting, weren't there, with the board in yeah. fans and I managed to put a question in over, over Facebook which I thought was very important like the one thing I want the coach family to do is to back up a bit John to back up and the coach family to back up and just become owners and I wanted yeah. a chairman to come in like all these other modern clubs do like Wolves do Brighton Watford um, Leeds have been doing recently and pretty much every Spanish and Portuguese side do where they bring a chairman in who knows what they're doing and then he'll make decisions and set people up to help the club thrive, to make sure that every sign and every bit of money that's spent is kind of wisely spent, taking advantage of niche markets, taking advantage of, you know, youth set up from other countries and, and really bringing quality through. And I put that question to John Coates and he just literally instantly went, no, we don't run things like that. We we run things with it, the way we run it. And it's... But the problem is when you've got Tony Scholes, that sums him up on one. There's like a question there when he goes, hey, what are we going to do with the left-back situation? And Tony Scholes looked like he'd been asked, what's the air like on Mars? He was, he was like, what, what's, what situation? And it, for me, that completely sums up that he hasn't got a clue about football. It really does. And yeah. he's making the major decisions. Yeah. I don't think that we run too dissimilarly from other clubs in the way that I don't think that the Coates family makes an awful lot of they don't do a very lot of day to day they probably sign the checks and they probably bring the first team manager in and they probably have the final sort of veto on a play sure um, but I think the way that the clubs run like how they're operated not necessarily like objectives they're obviously set by the Coates family um but the way that those objectives are achieved is absolutely through Tony's goals. Um, and of course, you could say that even Tony's goals won't do day-to-day -day activities. He is just the overseer. He, he manages everything at the football club, um, whether that's the first team players, uh, the youth team, uh, Stoke in the community, uh, the media team, the ticket sales, uh, the kits, I don't know, everything. Um, and the, the problem I have, I guess, is that it's not just first team performances that have let me down over the last few years. It's the fact that we've not developed as a, as a business, not just a football club, but as a business like other teams have. Like, we complained about our media department before, not been good enough. Um, from, and I, I don't think that's any fault particularly from them themselves I think it's just they've not had the attention and perhaps finances that they need to, to, to go on and flourish um, we've seen that there's not been a lot of infrastructure changes at the club like how long did it take us to get car machines for example and apparently that was a massive change well that means the fan zones out the window or anything crazy like that um, so forgivable things are improving and of course it will be with the football Stoke fans morale will be improving but I think that when we were doing badly it highlighted that there wasn't anything to distract us from a bad performance like every bad game every loss will be compounded by the fact that the club weren't doing a lot else and don't be wrong I think like we've mentioned over this uh, pandemic period they've been exemplary they've probably been the, the, the model club in England of 
uh, by wonderful stuff. But we've made a lot of mistakes in the last few years. Whether he is out of touch, that's not my decision to make particularly. That's of course up to the coach family. Whether they are aware that you know, if they want to make a change, they have to change him. Maybe they are. Maybe they're, they're just very reluctant to cut ties. We've seen that before with, like, Tony Pulis and Mark Hughes. They developed this almost personal relationship, and they probably have done with Tony's goals, where, you know, they, they don't want to get rid of them because they're, they're, they're friends, possibly. And that's a very difficult decision to make, I'm sure, and they have made difficult decisions but in the past. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that now that the first team's got a bit of momentum about them, maybe this is the time to start implementing a few more positive changes, ride the wave of positivity. Um, I don't know. Maybe this this resurgence in form from the first team will be the trigger that Tony Scholes needs to go, right, I am going to make some changes, though, because I feel like it's worth it. But, yeah, I feel like, uh, as a whole, we've been far too conservative. We've been far too cautious to make any development anywhere um, I, I, I feel like our heart's in the right place a lot of the time and that's why the acts that we've done over the last few weeks have, have happened because I think we've all like I talked about this on the while I was like we are a club that means everything to its community and the club will help its community to no end absolutely but whether Peter broke Tony Scholes in and I think there became a good friendship between John and Tony Scholes I think there was because the problem is there's no one else for John to talk to about these kind of things because there's always been Tony Scholes and I think that I've said this a few times that if, if, if fair enough they don't step back and don't bring a chairman in that's fair enough but they could still bring a director of football in to help Tony understand what a good player is because that's where I think the problems lie like John, we missed out on players like Delict, Pastore, um, Harry Maguire, Robertson, the list goes on really, going forever. Alex Vitzel, yeah. Smolov, all these players that we missed out on were all based on financial reasons. But then, yeah. Yeah. then not signing, basically, like everybody blames Mark Hughes for bringing Johnny and Bueller in. Tony Scholes and the coach family came out and said he got everything he wanted. Well, he clearly didn't. Because for the whole of that January window, they were chasing Alex Witzel. And then yeah. that fell through because Zenit weren't getting the 23 million, so they pulled. And then we went yeah. and got Mbule. So he didn't get what he wanted, that Gianni Mbule was a panic buy. From now till the end of time, that was a panic buy because they missed out yeah. on Witzel and they had two weeks left. No, no, just over a week left. And it was either Mbule or no one. So any manager, anybody, even Alex Ferguson would have gone, yeah, let's get him in then. Because it's either someone or no one. And I think that the big problem is that, I mean, let's think, how much has it cost Stoke by not paying that extra five million? 
It's cost. It's cost us millions. Oh yeah. Well, it's cost us that massive wave of momentum that we were on. Like we were the ninth best club in English football, and now we're the fortieth. Oh, like less yeah, than that. Yeah. Like wait, 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 wait. We've dropped like a stone. Like absolutely, of course we have. Um, trouble is, people always argue that these things are always good in hindsight. Like the reason why they bought Imbula in was because they thought that he would turn into a £45 million player one day. The same for Kevin Wimmer. They thought they brought him into oh, £17 million. He would turn into a Harry Maguire. And the thing is, when you think of, I don't know, maybe Leicester bringing in Harry Maguire, um, you thought, yeah, decent signing. Never going to go on to be an £18 million player. And yes, <laughs> you yeah. went on to be an £18 million player. Like, you never know what a player's going to turn out like. Unfortunately... We've had a lot of players where we've spent big money and they've not worked out. Um, whether that's just unlucky, you you could argue maybe, yeah, we've just been very unlucky in players we signed, or is it rather we signed players with bad attitudes? Yeah, more likely, isn't it? Um, and we've talked about this before, we've wasted a lot of money on, you're right, maybe for an extra £5 million, yeah, we could have got Little who may well come to Stoke and completely you know flop to the same way that every other player had done like just just because one player works at one club doesn't mean that he doesn't work at another look at I mean look at Hogan for example like yeah. a lot of people would say that he was terrible here and then looking went to Birmingham and done very very well indeed and I'm sure there's cases of other players leaving Stoke and doing very well and and vice versa players will come to Stoke look at Anatovic like unmanageable yeah, Mourinho yeah. said you know he left Verde Brain for £2 million they must have thought thank god we're shot of him like yeah, yeah. thank god he's, he's got the world's worst attitude and then he comes in and he's he was iconic for the period that he was in he, he was our talisman so it, it, it has worked out um, for some players but we just had too many players that didn't work um, the the reason why I try not to criticise too much these days, and I think this pandemic's highlighted this for me, is that these are all wonderful things to say in hindsight. Um, and and it, it's very easy to say that, oh, we should never sign Barry, you know, and women. And, and we absolutely shouldn't. Like, don't be twisted. That's not saying that we, we should have signed them. But, you know, we could have quite easily said, like, why did we buy an Artovich for two million quid? Why did we sign Bojan on a free when he was, you know, unhappy at Barcelona? Like, it's, it's, it's very difficult, but you're right. Someone with a little bit more knowledge of football, whether that is Michael O'Neill, whether he's going to be able to educate people like Tony Scholes, I, who knows? Yeah. But, yeah, I, something needs to change somehow, whether that's the way that the club addresses because this isn't just first team affairs again like I think there's certain changes that need to be made off the pitch too for us to be for us to have a stable base like when we got promoted for example we updated our training ground and it was one of the best like uh, even even stuff like filling the corner in like was was a big deal for us um, I, I still think there's off the pitch improvements to be made and hopefully this pandemic period highlighted a few of those and the fact that we appreciate even just the 
the smallest of things like match day rewinds and uh, season reviews being put out for free and stuff like that like it doesn't take an awful lot of expense to make fans happy and I hope they've realised that now I think a lot of the problem is, is that coach families haven't really been in the fan meetings and I know they don't go to the they all have a meeting and the only thing they decide is that the Lala Bar will be open before and after the game can't remember what it's called, the council meeting I think it's called and I, I think that sometimes, I mean, like, like you say about improvements, I mean, I, I think you're completely right about the ground, especially before and after games. I think it's something that I've really been pushing for, and I've pushed for it for years, because it's something that's very passionate to me. I mean, I went Derby when we lost 4-0, was it? Which was a bad day, it was my birthday as well, the day after, it was a really bad night. But one thing I did appreciate when I went round Pride Park was, it had a fan zone. It had like a tent yeah. on one side where you could go and have a beer. It had just little yeah. little pop up stalls everywhere where you could buy a Derby shirt with Rooney on the back, and or, or if you wanted to buy a key rings. I was I've got like I collect little badges, so I went and bought a little Derby badge when I was there. It just it there's just things to do. We were like normally with Stoke, we we try, we fight to get in the cricket club or harvested before the game. And then, because you don't really want to go to the ground till it's around kickoff time, because there's nothing to do. There's literally nothing to do. And I, I think to myself, yeah. the club could make good money out of that. They could yeah. make really good money out of having a fan zone uh, in little pop-up stalls. Or I mean, it's like I've never known a place where you, where it's the home of oatcakes, but you can't buy an oatcake outside the ground. Exactly, yeah, that puts you off straight away.
so I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've, I've got loads of ideas I have. I mean, it's like, yeah, exactly. I mean, one thing is the car park. Why why is a top flight club got a car park? I, 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 I was like that the other day going, I said to me mate when we went Derby, I goes, when was the last time you went to an away ground with a car park at the ground? And we, we struggled like anything. We were there for ages going, I can't think of a ground with a car park. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, we keep saying there's no room at the, at the Bet365. We've got a but giant a car, car park. park. Giant yeah. car park for no reason. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, all it, causes is, all it causes is chaos. That's all that car yeah. park has ever done. It's caused chaos. It doesn't yeah. need to be there. And then you've got an entire area where you can put up a big thing if, like you say, bands go on. Might be yeah. able to put some memorabilia there, like nice sitting areas with statues to legends like Neil Franklin and Jimmy Greenoff yeah. and, you know, players like Freddie Steele and even more recent legends. You know, like a fuller yeah. statue with Liam Lawrence and something. You've got all this there's space. There's loads of them here, that's the thing. There's so many Stoke City legends that are still around here. And I'm sure would love to take part on a match day. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, think of all the uh, Stoke City old boys. Liam Lawrence is doing stuff for BBC Radio. So, Rory the Lap is, is a coach at the club, as is John Walters. Like, Danny Higginbottom commentates on the Oddstow game, even though I know he's sort of with Sky and stuff. But, you, like, you get a picture that does. People really do love Stoke, and look at all these platforms we've got. We've got your podcast, we've got my podcast, we've got the Wizard Dribble, we've got Duck Magazine, we've got Stoke Wild and Brown, we've got the Bear Pit TV, we've got Joe Barbieri doing his cartoons, we've got Token Owls doing his cartoons, we've got Wayne Bailey doing his cartoons. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think more off the top of my head. Like, Harvey SCSE, Stoke Hub, Not a Fan, like, The Oatcake. Like, there's, there's, there's so many Stoke fans that really want more and will do more. And all Stoke needs to do is just involve a few more people. Yeah. And I think that everything could change. Everything could change. And we've talked about in the past how important fans have been, particularly in Stoke Survival and in the Premier League. If those fans, like, these sort of things would bring more fans in because it's more of a day out. You bring your mate for something like that because it's not just 90 minutes of football. Bring your mates for the day. You've got more fans in the stadium. They're probably more excited, more invested. They're going to cheer louder and fight harder and and, and sing. And it's going to make a deal, like a big deal on the pitch as well. Just, just there's got to be something that acts as a catalyst for change. Well, I, I tell and you, a big catalyst. I tell you what, another big catalyst. If you did put a bit a big stand on, so music could play at one or whatever local bands, which gets notoriety to them so they can do well. Yeah, Imagine exactly if you come from right. Australia and came all the way across, but at half past one, a legendary footballer goes on the main stage and has it and makes a speech and then does a thing yeah. with a sign next to it so loads of people can yeah. go and get a signature off him or have a quick chat with him or whatever. I'd go. Yeah. I'd be going all the time. I'd be going yeah. like that. Mark, I'll go in early because I want, I want to see who's going to be up on the stand. And it could be a surprise. You could go up there and then it's Jimmy Greenoff or, I don't know, Tony Allen from years ago. I know he might have sadly passed away, but legendary players from the past go, oh my God, that's Freddie, Freddie Scales. We'll go get his autograph. Wait there, we'll go in the queue. And then you've got a band playing, you've got tents everywhere with music playing. Loads of, and it'd be like a, it'd be like a Wembley, like not Wembley, but just like when England plays. They'd make money then. 
Because when a World Cup's on, yeah. that'd be a place where they put a main screen on and, and could watch watch England play. They'd sell, they'd yeah. make, they'd make thousands. Yeah. Instead of having a car park that just causes mayhem. The hierarchy, though, I should be a bit more broad. I, I don't want to pin this specifically on Tony's goals, but let's just say how the club is is run. Now we've been talking in total for what an hour and a half, talking about what improvements could be made for the last sort of twenty minutes, half an hour. Yeah. This yeah. is some people's jobs. Like, Hello, yeah. not only have they got the time to think about it they've got the facility to do this yeah, like yeah. go and do these things like please I beg of you it's not even like we we need them like I, like we could go on as we are fine but we want them so badly and I think there's just such big opportunity in there just take some risks yeah just take a just take a gamble if you don't work at the end of that season you can can it it's like like you're saying yeah. Don't knock down the car park. Just use it for a couple of seasons and see how it goes. With not having, yeah. with not cars not allowed on it. And then if you've done yeah. a work after two seasons, go back to the way it was before. Back. No one's here. Yeah. No one's got a problem. Everything will be fine. It, 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 yeah. To me, it's just common sense, really. I mean, I, I know that a lot more people would enjoy going less to a band in a fan zone than they would any other thing. Oh yeah. Know. And and these bands that love Stoke as well, like Underclass or Merriman, people like that, like they were at the ground like people people know who they are like they're not just random local band up and coming like like people know who they are because they're Stoke fans as well yeah like and, and, it, and it means a big deal and I think that they're the sort of people they need to bring in like people that, that really do care about the club and I'm not saying they do it for free but a lot of people would would do this sort of thing and they they jump at the chance to do it I'm sure oh, of course they would yeah that's been a great conversation. It's a good little extended podcast. We've got us, got us feelings out, <laughs> yeah. as it was. Um, I just want to let you tell everybody about your handles and about YYY files, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, anyone that doesn't know, uh, just search for YYY Yeah, it's like you're waiting for the weekend and you realise, 
oh, what could I do? <laughs> Years ago, you used to race for a weekend, and you oh, yes, it's weekend, yeah. and then now it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> I might as well play FIFA. <laughs> There's nothing else to We're do. We're doing well though, mate. We're doing well. Yeah, we're surviving. This will blow up eventually and we'll be back in Sporting Stoke soon, no doubt. Yeah, that's the aim, yeah. That's no, okay. Well, cheers for that, Ben. Thanks for coming on. All right, mate. Thanks for having me. Ta-da, ta-da. Great guest there, Ben. First off, we have to say sorry about the time this has come out. Um, it's come out a lot later. Like now, we know that the football has kicked back in properly on the twentieth of June. It's going to be kicking back in. Didn't know that at the time, but because I've had such a backlog of podcasts, it's come as a bit of a delay. This one has. But all, all I could say is, you know where we are. We're on any podcast provider. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Just type in the Potter's Podcast on all or any site, and you'll be able to find us. We've got a group. The Potters as well, which is growing as well. They've nearly got 600 members of that. So join in and have your say as well. As the offer goes out to everybody, if you want to come on and become a, a fan interview for the Potters podcast, you're more than welcome. Just send the message over on the Potters podcast, any of the platforms, Instagram, whatever, and you'll get a response and we'll be gladly to invite you on. Thanks for listening. Ta-ra.